Glow My God is brought to you by Afterglow ATX, a digital music publication in Austin, Texas. Read the entirety of our content at afterglowatx.com and follow us on all social media at afterglowatx. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Glow My God, an official Afterglow podcast serving the hottest takes about what is next in your queue. I'm Trevor Stovall, the audio director here at Afterglow, and I have alongside with me Felix Halvismacki and Claire Harper, two of our managing editors. Today we will be talking about the landscape and background of musicians within the current scope of music today. They say art is the playground for the wealthy, and music is not exempt from that. How many of our favorite musicians are given the platform they have due to their generational wealth, and how can we as listeners broaden our horizons? Before we get into our discussion, we have our save, skip, and repeat segment. This time, we're doing it a little bit different. We are talking about our save, skip, and repeats for all of 2021. Whether it be songs or albums, we're going to be talking all about it. Claire, what did you like and not like this year? Yeah, so thanks for that introduction. My save is Sinner Get Ready by Lingua Ignata. I did the album review for that. It's going to be in our surprise editor's picks list, so I won't say too much about it. But it's a great new classical kind of album from an amazing powerhouse singer. Um, my skip would probably be Solar Power by Lord. <laughs> probably a very controversial <laughs> one, but it's just not a Lord album in my opinion. I've heard that it's apparently like a parody album or something like that about her like being happy. I don't believe a word of it. I don't I don't I don't know what she was thinking. I think the <laughs> pandemic messed with her. I no. I, I, I don't mess with that. Um my repeat, I don't even have to say this. You already know it's Kick 2 by Arca. <laughs> <laughs> There's Felix laughing. Yeah, I'm always being made fun of for being like the Arca stand of Afterglow. No, I support it. Oh my God, thank you. <laughs> it's a laughter of love. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, it's an incredible album. Honestly, like Arca just continues to flourish and just wow me and be amazing. Also, shameless plug, I did do an album review for that one too. And if you haven't read it, what are you even doing? It's amazing. Yes. Yes, I really <laughs> enjoyed it. Felix, what are you liking? And what did you not like this year? Um. Well, okay. So, I mean, I liked a lot of things. Um, one of the ones that I really I think I've kept going back to this year, I think I got to it kind of late. I feel, the song came out in, I think, like January. Um, but like in like the second half of 2021, I really was liking um, Collapse and Sunbeams by Ar- uh, Arlo Parks. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's just like really interesting that she's kind of like, on every song, I feel like really balancing like kind of indie and jazz and like R&B. Like really, really well, and she also has this voice that just like is like really built. I feel like to just like harmonize like with herself. It's great. I could listen to her sing like anything. We um, skip. I want to emphasize that I think like the songs on this album are like fine on their own, but like overall, I think "Happier Than Ever" by Billie Eilish was not my favorite f- thing that I heard collectively. Like you know, I really liked like I don't know like your power. I really like Happier Than Ever is I think probably one of my favorite songs like of this year. Um, but like I just I did not vibe with hearing all of these genres next to each other. Okay, yeah. And 
I thought that her first album was a lot more cohesive to where, like, this sort of more, like, experimental, like, let's branch out and try these all, the, all these different things. Like, that kind of always, to me, felt more like what people do on their debut, like, before they really find their sound. And, you know, it's fine if Philly wants to change it. I just kind of feel like the album wasn't cohesive enough to where I wanted to listen to it as a whole, like, over and over again. And more was just like, yeah, I'll put on that song. So basically, she switched genres as quickly as she switches hair colors. (laughs) Sorry for the corny joke. (laughs) That was good. I think my repeat is probably Julian Baker's Little Oblivions, which, like... I've gone, like, kind of, like, on a journey with this album where, like, for a while, I really liked it when it first came out. And then I kind of, like, listened to other people's, like, opinions about the album, like, people that are kind of, like, fans of hers and, like, critics. And, like, my opinion kind of got swayed a little bit to where, like, for a little bit, I was like, I don't really want to go back to this album as much anymore. But, like, if I'm thinking back to, like, the albums this year, like, that have, like, the most songs that I ended up putting on repeat at one point, I think it's probably that album. Um, and I also think it's just, like, a, it's, an, it's like it's an enjoyable listen all the way through. Um, and it's it's also just, like, really different for Julian Baker to, like, do this full band thing and for her to play all the instruments herself is also very cool. Mm-hmm. I think even on that front, it's very effective as an album, even if some people did not think that the writing was as good. <laughs> I thought it was great. Who are some people? Anthony Fantano. Mm. I've never, oh. heard, never heard of him. Um, <laughs> he said it was full of Indiaisms, and I was like, "Fuck you!" Uh, <laughs> I have such a love-hate relationship with that guy, and he Same. is going to make an appearance later Same. in this episode. Oh, really? No, I yes. have opinions about his like journal. I think I, I don't want to like attack him. I, I just have opinions about his journalistic opinions. But anyway, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For my save this year, um, it is the sophomore album from. Brooklyn-based band Simon Spine, uh, Charismatic Megafauna, and they came out with this just wonderful, uh, dancey, psychedelic rock album, kind of not rock, though, pop, mostly pop. It's interesting, very great, and like blending genres, and um, it was put out by an amazing label called Northern Spy Records, and they just like continue to amaze me with every single thing that they put out, and this release did not disappoint. Um, I really hope I can see them for South by. They said they'll be coming, so really looking forward to that. Uh, my skip is uh, this album didn't come out this year, but it it shouldn't have really come out at all. Um, <laughs> Shady. It's the uh, 50th anniversary of George Harrison's All Things Must Pass. Like. I don't know. I get it. We're trying to like milk that Beatle money, like the Let It Be documentary <laughs> came out. Um, it's like you know when you put that stuff out, like everybody's gonna buy it, or at least people that like the Beatles are going to buy it. But it was just incredibly unnecessary. I felt like, and it didn't even sound that good. Like, yeah, I don't know. I just felt it was incredibly unnecessary. There's eight LPs in there. We are already on a 14 month vinyl delay. Yeah. A lot of independent yeah. labels yeah. are really struggling. And to see George Harrison's estate just, like, effortlessly press eight LPs of an album that's been out for 50 years when there's box sets floating around on Discogs and eBay for, like, $5, it's just, I don't know. I, I just, it's a little unnecessary in my mind. And, yeah, you have, like, 
bootlegs or whatever but like i said the album's been out i just feel like it already sounds good there's no need to remaster it reissue it and do all these things but when you're milking that Beatles money like i said i guess that everything just kind of flies out the window yeah um so that's my skip and then repeat it is my favorite album of the year it is everything that i could ever have hoped for in music i won't shut up about it every single person <laughs> that i talk to and ever meet and they ask what i'm listening to this is what i tell them um, I have a little bit of bias, but that's okay. It is Katie Kirby's Cool Dry Place that came out back in February. It's a short 28-minute album. All 11 songs are just, or is it 9? 9 or 11? I think it's 11. All 11 songs are just so wonderfully paced, just perfect pop, jangle, music. It's, it's really great. So if you haven't heard Katie Kirby's Cool Dry Place, I can't recommend it enough. <music> A recent viral Twitter thread came to Afterglow's attention a couple weeks ago. It all caught our eye after it shed some light on the current landscape of popular musicians in the limelight today. Whether it be independent music or mainstream pop, there is an undeniable fact that those with a privileged background will be more likely to succeed in music today. The thread highlighted musicians such as Julian Casablancas, King Princess, and others to name a few. We at Afterglow thought it would be a great idea to discuss how music can become more accessible and how we can support fledging magicians that are just starting out. And what exactly do we do about art and how can we consume it? To start our discussion, I'd love to have a quick take on how everyone felt when they saw the Twitter thread and if they wanted to include any background information about that, that thread that I, I may have missed. Um, I mean, like, I guess I kind of felt about it in the same way I feel, like, whenever there's, like, something circulating about, like, the wealth of, like, a celebrity or, like, the family history of, like, a celebrity, uh, which is, like, yeah, that really sucks, um, in, in like, a, like, a, a conceptual way, in, like, a literal way, like, there's a lot of things about it that are really, like, uh, like, disappointing and reflect, like, you know, overall, like, injustices, like, in the industry and all that, um, I guess, though, like, I, I also wasn't super surprised, especially by some of these, I don't know, like, King Princess, you know, not to, not to, to dig at them, but, uh, they never struck me as, like, the most talented, uh, indie singer on the market right now. Yeah. And, sure, I, yeah, in retrospect, maybe it makes sense that there was a little bit of influence there, right? Um... And I think, honestly, uh, a lot of these things kind of, like, make sense in retrospect. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I guess, like, ultimately, I don't think it should be, like, a gotcha. Mm. You know? Yeah. Um, I, like, for people that are fans of this person anyway, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like, I, you know, especially because usually, you know, I think a lot of people, a lot more people are aware of, like, their, you know, faves backgrounds than people think. You know, if you do enough digging, you will find something on somebody that you could use against somebody who's a fan of them. We're all human. Uh, yeah, and, and, you know, ultimately, I think in the grand scheme of things also, having rich parents, if you're not, you know, an asshole about it, is, like, not the worst thing. Absolutely, That you yeah. can have, you know, that's not the worst kind of blood that you can have on your hands. Um, but still, I think there is, like, kind of something implicit there about um, people. And I think, you know, Claire was kind of talking about this, too. With, like, people like King Princess and Claro, um, like, in the indie field, it's like, there's usually 
marketing there that implies something scrappy oh or God, like yes. an underdog narrative about these people that they came from nothing or overcame some odds. And, you know, maybe usually these people did. You know, maybe it's like difficult being a woman or difficult being queer or difficult being a person of color. Uh, but omitting the fact that they have rich parents is the problem, right? Because all of those things are affected by class in one way or another, right? Um, so, yeah. I mean, I think the problem is, you know, people kind of get mad about this because they think it's like cancel culture or whatever. Um, the problem is, is that, like, l- lacking this information when these people talk about these, like, underdog stories or whatever as a result of you know, any sort of marginalization, uh, the intersection matters, right? Um, in the same sense that it's yes. not, it's not, it's not necessary, or uh, it's necessary when talking about, like, I don't know, um, like, a woman of color to talk about, like, how she is a woman of color and not just, like, a person of color, right? In the same sense, if somebody comes from, like, a disadvantaged economic background, they're going to have had a different experience than somebody who doesn't. Um, regardless of the fact that they may share being black, being gay, um, it's not a monolith, right? And that's what these kind of, like, struggle narratives about these people tend to present, is like, oh, well, just because, you know, they experienced a hardship, experienced all the hardship. And that's not, it's not the nuance that is, it's the nuance that's usually lacking, I think. Definitely. That's long-winded. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of work with, I guess. That was beautifully said. Thanks. Yeah, I fully agree with Felix. I have not seen that Twitter thread because I refuse to be on Twitter. <laughs> Why is you are better than I am. Yes. Much better than I am. <laughs> so yeah, just prefacing this with that. Um, but no, I fully agree with Felix. And I think that this narrative that a lot of artists are pushing, that they came from nothing when they really did, is very disingenuous. And it kind of goes against the whole point of music where you're supposed to be open yeah. and genuine about your background. Um, I have so many examples. Like, I remember there was like a genius interview of Jaden Smith, and he was like, I came from nothing and just talking about how like he got all his fame and fortune for himself and I'm like you're the son of Will Smith (laughs) are you aware of this do you know your family are you okay um but yeah no I fully agree with you it's like um sorry I'm like losing my train of thought but yeah it's very disingenuous and especially with like the Claro and King Princess topic like for listeners who aren't aware King Princess is literally the heir to the Macy's fortune. Oh, yes. Very, Just yeah. Just let yeah, that yeah. sink in. Like, she definitely, maybe she didn't have direct industry connections, but she still had, like, a lot of capital, probably, yeah. mm-hmm. to make the music that uh, they or she does. I don't know what pronouns I use. Mm-hmm. But, um, and then with uh, with Claro, like, she, I hate how she had this whole kind of lo-fi aesthetic at mm-hmm. the beginning of her career, and she was literally in, like, her little dorm, I'm making her little lip sync for her video. And then her father is like an advertising executive or something like that. Um, He has like a pretty high position and he's worked for companies like Coca-Cola and Starbucks. And I'm like, you have money. And he himself got her her fader um, label deal. So I'm like, Uh, are you really, really indie? Which we'll kind of get into the meaning of indie a little bit later, but... Um, yeah, it's definitely not very authentic. (laughs) At the same time, I agree with you that, like, they shouldn't be canceled or anything for it, because it's not, like, obviously you can't control where you come from. Mm. It just kind of depends on what narrative you present and how you kind of use those resources. Like, King Princess, if you have some sort of access to that Macy's fortune, why not do some good with it? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, right. 
Right. Like, and, and that is, like, that's Macy's, like, the department store. Macy's, like, the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Like, an insane level of, like, wealth. I don't yes. know. It'd be like if we found out, like, Phoebe Bridgers was, like, heir to Walmart or something. Right? <laughs> like, oh. um, which There's actually, a universe. There's, there's a, a universe. There's a universe where that um, is real. And, like, and, you know, like, I, as far as, like, Jaden Smith goes, especially, you know, people, like, oftentimes will kind of, like, use that same kind of mark against Billie Eilish. Well, they'll be like, oh, you know, her parents are, like, really famous. Oh, yeah. Or, like, yeah. they're famous actors or whatever. Which is, like, true, right? I believe they do have, they both have Wikipedia pages, they think. But mm-hmm. I remember going and checking them out on Wikipedia one day. It's, like, not, like, starring roles. You know what I mean? Like, No, definitely you know, these, not. She's not, like, you know, the daughter to Meryl Streep. Like, these are, like, um... Like, kind of, you know, in comparison to Will Smith, like, working actors, right? These are not people, they have, like, walk-ons and, like, you know, guest roles, and, like, they're not stars. Mm-hmm. Um, still, uh, do we think that them living in L.A. with uh, experience in the entertainment industry might have helped out their, um, you know, their, like, their kid, their two kids, yeah. who, like, break yeah. very deeply into the entertainment industry at a young age? Gee, I don't know. And you lay it all like that. You lay it all out like that. Probably, but like, I, I just yeah. think like, um, it's still different from being the child of like literally Will Smith, right? Yeah, um, for sure. Like you know, literally Fresh Prince. Like that man, like starred in projects alongside Jaden Smith. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yes. And, like, Willow is all over Pink Table... Not Pink. That's the Drag Race Challenge. Red Table Talk with, uh, like, Jada Pinkett, right? So, these are... It's not even, like, these are kids that, like, are forming careers, like, separate from their parents in the way that Billy and Phineas are. Still, you know, their connections. Again, I don't want to downplay those. But, like, Jaden Smith is actively using his connection with his parents in several instances throughout his career to raise his profile. And, you know, I'm not going to give a 13-year-old... He was very young when he was starting those movies with his dad. I don't want to give him all that agency. But the idea that he came from nothing is very out of touch. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's a ridiculous thing to assert. <laughs> um, it's, it, and it sounds a little bit like kind of like Drake all those years ago, too, kind of talking about oh how he started God. from the bottom. Yeah, um, and it's funny because I, like, I thought he started on Degrassi. Um, but, like I, like, I don't know. Um, it's interesting, I guess. Like, and, and, you know, again, like I, like I said earlier, it's not like these people didn't struggle. It's just like they still had entertainment careers prior to the entertainment careers we know them for now. Yeah, and that is yes. a really big form of privilege, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to kind of make that transition. Yeah, I just wanted to say going back to Billie Eilish, I do unfortunately kind of agree with the whole her being an industry plant thing mm-hmm. because I did a little bit more reading into her, and yeah, like her parents aren't successful actors, but her brother was on Glee, and she That's did true, like. Yeah some background voiceovers for, like, really famous movies. Stuff like mm. X-Men, Diary of a Wimpy oh. Kid. Um, and, and they just had those connections to begin with, as he said. Like, they lived yeah. in L.A. And I know I saw many documentaries of hers and interviews, you know, when she was, like, way back at the beginning of her career. And mm. I think she had either just gotten signed or was, like, not signed yet. And she was making it appear as if she, like, wasn't this person who already had those connections, you know? Mm. Um, And she very much made it, like, the narrative that they presented was like, oh, Ocean Eyes went viral out of a sudden. I wonder how that happened. That's true. Yeah, I remember that. Which is true. It happened. There is such a disconnect between everything right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, But that wasn't, like, the full story, obviously. For For sure. That's a really good point. That's a really, really good point that I didn't think of, like... 
Yeah, I mean, like, she she still definitely does fit the bill, I think, of kind of, like, fake starting from the bottom. And also, I do think, like, I do agree that she honestly could be an industry plant in that sense. And people get really, I think, kind of sensitive about the word industry plant. Mm-hmm. It's definitely for, a buzz, buzzword yeah. yes. right now. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and for good reason, right? Definitely. Because, like, you know, if you look at the amount of people who are often called industry plants, and then I'm, you know, obviously not the first person to make this point, uh, usually those people end up being women, and it doesn't really matter where they actually came from or how talented they are. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, it's it's usually just kind of something that is meant to undermine, like, you know, a woman who is successful. Um, I remember Lana Del Rey kind of playing up this whole narrative for a while, right? I remember she was, like, very kind of explicitly taunting people with, like, a song that she called uh, Fuck My Way Up to the Top. Like... I don't know. I like it's 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 very like a like a thing to kind of just assume that there's no way a woman could be talented enough to like make yeah. it in the industry without connections. That being said, definitionally, I think an industry plant is somebody that you engineer a single or something like that to go viral, and then put them in the press and have them talk about how you know they came from nothing, and this just happened to them, and like that, that's a plant. Right, that that's somebody who they wanted to succeed, who they you know put money behind to succeed, and then like tried to pass it off as if that's not what happened, right? In in the like most objective possible terms, what else can you call that? Um, it's not a mark against Billy, who I think is like probably one of the most talented singers like in the A list right now. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's also like got a very unique creative vision, like musically. She's a good writer. Like I don't want to knock her at all because I, I I think also she it's is like our age. Yeah, she's younger yeah. than me. She's yeah. younger than me. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, I like I can't knock her at all. I like I just would like point out that I, I think like that is and who knows how she feels about that now. Also, she was pretty young. Like, I, I'm not entirely gonna hold her accountable for like not knowing how to navigate industry executives, like convincing oh, yeah. her to, you know, mm-hmm. sell a certain narrative. Like uh, she can only do so much about that. I think even in that case, the lame can still maybe go back to like her parents or even I don't know maybe Phineas who could have kind of been like standing up for her a little bit more. But still, I mean, the, you know, that shouldn't have happened is what the point is, right? Yeah. No matter who is like the one that we're going to point fingers at. Yeah, um, I, agree. I agree. Yeah, I feel like uh, I loved what you said about um, musicians and just being able to kind of acknowledge uh, where they came from, being transparent. I think that goes a great long length um, in who you are as a person. I think it makes you a lot more vulnerable, a lot more open, a lot more honest. Um, I think it gives a lot more people a way to connect with you when you share this narrative and do these things. Obviously, yeah, it doesn't come across as genuine. And it is mind-boggling to see how many, um, like, major labels and stuff can create um, kind of a product, whether it be a musician, that's what they're putting out regardless, kind of out of nothing through PR teams and publicists and budgets. And it, it, it's an, it's, it is insanity um, to see some press get the, I don't know, just sheer amount of coverage that it gets all the time um and yeah i think i i also love what you said about king princess using their um platform that they have from the macy's wealth 
to kind of like inspire some change like if you have that platform like you should always being be like able to use it for good um not mm-hmm. to plug my own band here which i'm not trying to do <laughs> but we've always kind of had this philosophy that if our band were to break up tomorrow we always say that we wanted to do something cool with the platform that we have rather than play like acl right and that's why we've always had like such a big kind of foundation for like wanting to play like benefit shows and being able to use like just this small platform that we have to help inspire change like i think that's something that's so powerful about the arts is like the way in which musicians artists can reach people across all just all across the board in ways you wouldn't be able to imagine and shed light on so many very important issues so um it it is a bit of a shame to see some artists that have the platform that they have and kind of neglect um some issues that they they could be highlighting or be passionate about if they are passionate about anything um but yeah it, it is a little bit of a shame um I wonder how how can we as listeners make music more accessible? How do you all find music? Do you do you take your do you read up on musicians and artists and kind of their background? Does that influence you or are they are they just because they're you know, they're people obviously they have they have flaws, like what what how do I don't know, how do y'all find how do y'all find music? Well, like, oh, go ahead. <laughs> okay, I was going to say something that definitely speaks to me personally is, I wouldn't say adversity necessarily. Um, what attracts me to an artist, most of all, at least kind of on the surface at first listen, is definitely their music, obviously, regardless of their background. Right. But I think definitely thinking of the artists that I love the most, like Arca, for example, or Linguagnata, their backgrounds is, you know, people with like minoritized identities, as women. Um, in the case of Linguagnata, you know, domestic abuse survivor, just things like that, those kinds of narratives are very powerful. And the way that they express themselves through music is very powerful and it, it touches my heart a lot. So that to me is um, something very special. So that's kind of how I find the artists that I truly like hold on to. That's awesome. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like, I, I am, like, kind of a music-first sort of person, too. Um, I guess, like, my approach is, is maybe a little, like, interesting. But, like, especially when I am, like, looking into, like, new metal bands that I'm listening to, the research is, like, kind of essential for me. Because, like, especially when it comes to genres like black metal, uh, there are a lot of people who are, like... Uh, how you say Nazis mm-hmm. and like I've seen Green Room. <laughs> like I don't wanna I don't wanna I don't wanna support the Nazis. So like I mean and it's they're you know sometimes they're really good at hiding it and sometimes they you know they'll tag their bandcamp page with like national socialist black metal and it's like okay well then you know but like other times like you'll have to like go into the lyrics and be like huh they're talking a lot about white genocide, right? Um so uh that's already kind of something that I do, like, reflexively. It's, like, almost, like, a litmus test. Uh, you know, and, like, a band doesn't have to be, like, I don't know, like, a, a you know, furthest left, like, anarcho-communist, like, you know, 
uh, burn it all down, V for Vendetta, you know, whatever. But like, um, you like your music to have some meaning behind it. Yeah, like yeah. I, I, it's yeah. more just like I, I think like um, I want the people that are making it to be all right people, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm throwing the money anyway, right? Because, I mean, that's the thing is, like, I'm, like, the kind of person where, like, if I find, like, a band or an artist that I like, I'm going to want to, like, throw money at them, right? I'm going to want to buy a shirt or buy a record or go to their show or whatever. Because music is, like, one of the things that, like, I think if I had to categorize it is what I like to spend money on. It's, like, one of the things that provides me the most joy per dollar. Um, but, like, so if, if I'm, like, really getting personally invested in artists, like, yeah, I, I, I do believe in kind of, like, putting financial support behind people that you would want to financially support, right? Mm-hmm. That, like, if they were in your life, if you knew them individually, would you want to give them 15 bucks, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't really necessarily care if, like, they're, like, the best person ever. What I care is, like, I, I is their music, like, you know, putting harm into the world? Is their presence as a cultural figure putting harm into the world? And that's an individual thing. Mm-hmm. It's something that I have to, like, decide for myself and that I think everybody else will decide for themselves. And I think, you know, honestly... Maybe it's fair if you want to say, like, having rich parents and refusing to act on that wealth as you can as an individual. Maybe you want to say that puts a lot of harm into the world. And I wouldn't entirely disagree with you, right? Mm-hmm. I, I can't argue against that. Um, but I think that's something that everybody has to kind of, like, draw the line for for themselves. Um, there's a really great... Um, right now, I think she actually does a lot of labor journalism. But she used to be the heavy, uh, the heavy metal editor at Noisy. And her name is Kim Kelly. And she wrote this article about, like, uh, kind of sussing out, like, you know, very radical far-right people in metal. And that's kind of what she talks about in this article is, like, how, like, everyone just kind of has to draw their own lines, set their own boundaries. And it can be, like, a case-by-case sort of thing. And that's how I feel about these people with, like, you know, their rich parents is I'm, like, Mm -hmm. how much is it going to sour me on on them is dependent on, like, you know, a whole lot of things, right? It's dependent on, like, their individual. Because rich parents alone is not what's, like, souring me on a person, yeah. right? If that were true, I couldn't like a lot of the people that I like. A lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. A lot. Um, yeah. I couldn't really probably like myself, right? Yeah. So, like, I, like, um, that's not something I, I even can, with my own background, feasibly knock people on, right? Yeah. Because I do not come from, like, you know, squalor. Yeah. Um, but, like, I, I guess, like, for my own self, is I, what I'm always trying to think about when I am trying to answer, like, a question when it comes to somebody like a Kanye or, like... Um, Just insufferable. Or a Taylor, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, I love Taylor Swift. I think she puts a lot of negativity in the world, even if she doesn't entirely mean it sometimes. Um, and I, I guess I just... Every time I kind of have to draw, like, a different line. I think that's really fair. Yeah. I love what you said, uh, real quick, um, about music being the best joy that you can get from your dollar yeah. i haven't heard that before and i was like damn she's right you know like felix coming in with these one-liners yeah I yeah i just didn't know how else to say happen. that I didn't, like, the, that's what i prefer to spend money on yeah how about you claire where do you where do you um do you kind of agree with, with felix as well about how you look about your music as well Yeah, definitely. And I would say kind of going back into the whole wealth thing, to me, it does sour, maybe not the music listening experience, but I think, um, you know, the parasocial relationship that you have with a musician is very Mm. personal. And I think music is just one of those arts where you put so much of yourself into it. 
I mean, if you look into other art forms like literature, if you look into visual art, like, I guess there isn't that much of like a personal piece of themselves that they put into their art. Like their music is literally a lot of the times their own voice, their own stories, their writing, everything. Um, so when they are like in interviews disingenuous or even in songs when they don't really, you know, I guess this is kind of veering away into more of a discussion of like, you know, keeping it real or whatever in music, which mm -hmm. you're allowed to be creative and whatnot. But I think there is a certain limit to like what you actually express. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that can definitely sour the experience of being a fan, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Just don't be a phony. Right. Y'all want to hear something crazy, a little yes. side tangent? Yeah. I had a friend um, who recently had the opportunity to tour Europe, booked it all himself, absolute madman, never seen anything like it. I don't even know how you go about booking a Europe tour by yourself. Yeah. Um, he's insane, super amazing guitar player, plug-in Will Orchard, but... Oh, yeah. um, he toured Europe with his girlfriend, and he was saying about how when they were playing live in certain venues, the venue would hook them up in Europe, would hook them up with a place to stay. And um, a lot of those times, those places to stay were just like people that were like fans of the venue and would just like enjoy like having what? artists over, like wow. cook them meals. Oh my God. And then was saying that like a lot of musicians in Europe are just able to play music like full time because of the like payouts and venue structures like the way they're able to pay out their musicians and the grants Damn. like the government receives Aww. or gives out to venues and stuff that they're able to like support themselves and pay artists fairly and I was just oh. like man we Very interesting. could you imagine like some some venues in America you don't even get like drink tickets and you're yeah, like yeah. lining um, but I, w I thought that was just like an interesting like side tangent just like you know where you as a musician are and like your location also has such a crazy impact because we That's are true. here in America and I I believe our main output um, is entertainment yeah. mm -hmm. and like that's just like what it is and so I feel like our views as um, people that live here in this country like we have kind of a, a I wouldn't say skewed, but uh, saturated look at entertainment mm. as it just revolves around us every single day. Right. And um, it kind of goes into um, the current like genres of music that is put out today, and especially with indie music um, and how indie music, what even is it? What do we do with it? And how do we like quantify it? Yeah, absolutely. Indie music is such a kind of difficult topic to talk about because you need to kind of understand the history of the term as well. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of came, I mean, apparently it's been around since like the early 20th century, but it really kind of came into popularity in the 90s with, you know, the grunge movement. Obviously, you have Nirvana, you have Hole. You have all these mm. bands, but you also had like the more goth rock and dream pop bands. You had Cocteau Twins um, and you had all of these bands being signed to labels that weren't like the major labels, you know, like right. uh, Warner Records or whatever, Columbia Records. Um, instead, they were signed to Sub Pop or 4AD in the case of Cocteau Twins. And so that was kind of mm. indie. These independent artists weren't necessarily like not signed artists or artists that, you know, distributed themselves, but just artists who were assigned to like the smaller labels but nowadays like as you mentioned trevor what even is indie music nowadays because it's kind of with streaming services and spotify and you know even like social media platforms like tiktok 
people can go viral without even being like they can be popular and have like a mass almost the same kind of following as people who are signed to major record labels without even being signed to them um yeah, and yeah. these record labels like sub pop like sub pop is super big nowadays you know it's not like a dingy little little record label no it's like really big um so to me honestly like we should just abandon the term indie altogether yeah. because it kind of gets into this really uh, bad can of worms where people are like, I'm indie. Right. And you're like, are you really? Yeah. Because like Chance the Rapper, technically he's indie, like he's not signed, right? But does he really say that? And should we even call him indie? Like, does it, what kind of service does that do to him? Yeah. You know, because he's like already so successful. He Can we really like give him that indie label? Yeah. Um, whereas there's artists like I have this really cringy moment from Halsey, the queen of cringe on Twitter. Um, me talking about Twitter without having a Twitter. <laughs> but <laughs> I love that you're in the know. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Thanks to um, Mr. Anthony Fantano, who we just roasted earlier this episode. Um, but he was kind of critiquing how Halsey, this was like years back, but she was still famous at that mm-hmm. point how she called herself an alternative artist. And this is a bit different from indie, but it's like, mm. you're still a pop artist. He said that she's like alternative mm. and the way that Walmart is an alternative to Target. Ooh. And that mm. kind of a severe burn, but also I feel like that can kind of describe a lot of indie artists where it's like, are you really that un- alternative? Are you yeah. really that small? Why do you give yourself like, at this point, indie has become kind of an aesthetic, I feel like, yeah. almost. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. With artists like Mac DeMarco, who actually did, as far as I'm aware, start, like, kind of in poverty just hearing his story. Like, mm-hmm. he definitely had a lot of odd jobs that he had to do while doing music. So he's, yeah. like, the quintessential started from the bottom right, artist. Right, But he's so famous. Like, I see him on T-shirts all the time at this point, And he's, like, basically set the indie standard to the point where is he really indie anymore? Yeah. And are those artists who are, like, trying to copy him, are they indie or are they just trying to have, like, I guess be indie on a surface level? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like my thing is, if more people know your name than, like, a record label's name, you know, especially one like Warner, then I feel like you are not indie anymore, right? Categorically. Like, you have so much money that it kind of feels like it goes beyond, like, what the indie ethos really encompasses. Chance the Rapper, more people know about Chance the Rapper than, like, any label that Chance the Rapper could have started on. Well, the thing is, a lot of people <laughs> are musicians that appear to be self-released. Um, they'll give they'll give you that, and they'll retain a lot of their, like, masters or, like, yeah. songwriting credits or whatever. But then, like, their publishing, they'll be signed to a publishing, like, label. Yes, so you have yes, a lot yes. of artists that appear to be indie in the local scene or whatever and then are getting backed by Sony. Right. And Sony mm-hmm. has this new thing called, I don't know if it's entirely new, um, but I've been seeing it get a lot of traction. It has this thing called AWOL, AWOL Publishing, which is a division of Sony that brands itself as an indie label mm. with the funding of Sony. And it's just, like, I feel like a complete like slap in the face oh. to independent <laughs> musicians because oh. yeah. AWOL is buying out these spots on Spotify playlists. They are able to have direct phone like call lines with all of these streaming platforms and are able to give independent musicians this support and awareness while still appearing independent while still not officially being on like warner's website or if you go to like 4ad's like you're not going to see like their name and then another name under it right like they have their own website they're 
able to have their control and I'm, I'm seeing that a lot more with a lot more artists and bands and um it's like why sign to a, a label and then not own your own music when we can sign to a publishing company give them like 15 percent of our streaming credits or 25 percent or whatever the standard is nowadays and then just like totally like take over the world after that like it's it's yeah. pretty it's pretty crazy how many artists um kind of go that route nowadays i think yeah that's very interesting what you pointed out because i think that kind of only proves my point that indie has become more of an aesthetic than anything yeah. nowadays like you'll see all those TikToks of kids being like oh here's how to copy an indie at aesthetic like it really has become more of like yeah as i said aesthetic yeah. like i'm repeating that word way too much but you know <laughs> it's not actually like being independent and it's interesting that Warner, you said Warner, right? Yes. Is capitalizing, Sony. oh, Sony is capitalizing Warner off might have of like, <laughs> uh, they might, they probably yeah. all do, yeah. but yeah, they're like capitalizing off of this idea of like the indie surface level aesthetic. That's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I guess it's just so insidious. It's so insidious. <laughs> it and is. Like, and, and very like, really uh like manipulative concerning like <laughs> morally um and i i think i agree and at a certain point i think we just kind of have to be post indie right i think yeah. maybe like Ooh, if you want the that's the next genre post indie <laughs> i hate to say it <laughs> but like i i honestly do feel like we kind of have to move past it as like a, a, a concept because it doesn't like i don't know you know i i one of the other problems uh, in, you know, kind of talking about indie is how oftentimes, like, uh, I don't know, white people usually get to be indie, right? Um, and I don't want to enforce that by naming these next few bands that I'm about to say. But if you think back to, you know, my boy Elliot Smith, think back to my boy's Neutral Milk Hotel, those are people that were self-releasing albums for a while, right? And furthermore, uh, like in the case of Elliot Smith, he was like, mixing this shit himself you know what i mean well it was it was self-released in a, in a very like literal sense right everything he could possibly do himself he did himself you can't really master stuff yourself but every you know, every part of the process that he could possibly be involved in he tried to be and, it, and uh, you know so, and then when it comes to like neutral milk hotel who were like they were very you know incredibly like uh resourceful with like the way that they produced their records because uh they didn't have uh I think, for instance, a really great example is, like, the distortion that's, like, all over uh, in the aeroplane over the sea, which is, like, the album by them that you know. Um, I'm actually is... an Avery's Island fan. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, that's, that's a you know what? I honestly, I, I appreciate that take. That's a valid take. Um, but, like, um, like, the distortion all over that record is, like, not, you know, pedals. Uh, you have, like, you know, bands like Sun O, which are very... Uh, known for kind of, like, stacking all these huge distortion pedals, and that's how they get these, like, really just disgusting, scary, like, walls of sound sorts of things. But Neutral Milk Hotel, I think, got that by just, like, throwing compressors on top of one another, right? And just, like, literally blowing their songs to hell. Um, it's, like, it's intentional, like, or unintentional, like, it's an unintentional consequence that they manipulated out of something, right? And that's DIY, right? That is indie in, like, kind of how... It was originally conceived. Um, and the aesthetic of that, right, the kind of, you know, it's a little bit, maybe a little bit schlubby, a little bit more, you know, a little bit cozier. It's not, you know, super focused on being, like, high fashion. Uh, that's because people without money sometimes dress like that, right? <laughs> like, um, 
I don't know. I, I think, like, it's it's just, like, <laughs> the aesthetic, which is which indie is very well known for at this point, is, like, a side effect of, like, the actual people who made it. And I think a lot of uh, indie is that way. Um, and the problem now is that people are kind of taking the qualities of indie without, like, like we all kind of talked about, really acknowledging what it was about, you know, at its core, um, which was not even necessarily self-releasing, but, like, not relying on, like, big budgets and, uh, like, exterior wealth to kind of push you through. Yeah, you know? not pushing that envelope forward yeah. for the genre. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and to add to that, I would say indie, like, apart from it basically becoming a very surface-level thing at this point for a lot of artists, to me is, like, such a temporary term, too, because, like, it, let's say we actually go by, like, oh, you're an independent artist or you do the kind of more DIY stuff like you mentioned – uh, there's artists like Billie Eilish, which I swore I could have seen her music like back in 2016, 2017, when she was really just starting. Mm-hmm. I swore I saw her music on like indie playlists, yeah. <laughs> which is crazy oh, yeah. to think about. Like she was that small at that point, but now she's grown to be such a big artist in such a small, like short amount of time yeah. that with a lot of these musicians, oh yeah, and she was like recording music in her bedroom, right? And now she has like a super huge budget and everything. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my point is that basically with a lot of artists, obviously not everyone is Billie Eilish, but uh, with a lot of artists, like they don't stay indie that long. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I think like honestly, for some people, this transition makes a little bit more sense. Like uh, like Doja Cat, right? We first heard about Doja Cat when she was in her her bedroom, uh, you know, singing about being a cow, <laughs> like a green screen going on, right? And like and, and when we all I like I don't know at least for me right I'm not really super tuned into like underground hip hop especially I was not really aware that Doja was really like bubbling under for a super long time after this maybe she was before this too, um, but for me like that was very much like oh there was that Moo and the Cow things like song and then suddenly Say So was happening right mm-hmm. and there's a little bit that's happening between there that I'm kind of occasionally hearing, uh, but it was very much like that for me where I was suddenly oh my god that 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 Doja Cat right. Um, and and even so, you know, throughout 2020 and 2021, it seems like every time I'm being like, oh, my God, she's just, like, continually getting bigger. But, like, I don't feel like Doja was ever really trying to be, like, I'm the, like, you know, scrappiest kid on the block. Yeah. And as soon as she got money, you knew she got money, right? Mm-hmm. Because she started, like, you know, upping her looks. She started upping her on stage like, performances or whatever. She did, like... A million, you know, renditions of Say So at that, you know, at the, like, through the 2020 award show circuit because she could hire, you know, a hundred different producers to a hundred different versions of it. Uh, Doja was, to me, not being super, like, disingenuous with this, like, bedroom YouTube video thing. Because she, you know, when she talked about it in, like, an interview, she'd be like, oh, well, yeah, no, that was just a thing that me and my friends threw together one day, right? It wasn't necessarily, like, supposed to be, like oh, yeah, well, this is how I had to do things because that was, like, what I had. Whereas, you know, that's not the narrative that I feel like we get from everybody um, who makes this sort of jump like Doja does. I think it's fine, honestly, to, like, kind of have that jump in quality as long as you're not attributing that jump as, like, oh, well, I had no options before and now I have options. Like, yeah. Bring that narrative um, with you. Right, right. Just trying to continually kind of, like, meld that, like, fold that into your, like, public persona when it doesn't actually exist for you like that's the disingenuous part yeah that's very interesting that you bring that up because i i kind of want to you know bounce off an idea to you that Mm -hmm. like 
thinking of a band like Brockhampton, for example, where mm. they self-released a couple of records, you know, their Saturation trilogy got super popular. Um, I mean, it seems like it was mostly their own effort, but then yeah. they signed to RCA Records. Mm. I haven't heard much from them, but they still definitely kind of maintain that sort of indie sure. aesthetic and kind of narrative. So I'm wondering, like, what do you all think about keeping that same kind of aesthetic? Maybe not necessarily the narrative and mm. pretending you don't have resources, but like the aesthetic you had before. That kind of makes me think of someone like Mac DeMarco yeah. as well, who has led like the same kind of, you know, wearing capri pants or whatever and like a little yeah. you know cap and not being like super fancy because you mentioned how like doja cat changed her aesthetic right with right that money too right yeah like and i guess my thing is like you know i i think certain people will just dress certain ways regardless of how much money they have um i certainly i'm sitting here uh today and what i consider to be like oh this is a look that is good it's like these sweatpants this hoodie and this t-shirt um and i have you know more money than that right I could dress in something that looks different than this, uh, but okay, I don't care to, right? And so at a certain point, like, I'm like, okay, well, like, you know, people are going to dress how they're comfortable dressing. Um, you know, people don't have to, like, you know, uh, dress in Gucci as a result of having wealth. I don't think they necessarily need to, like, broadcast their class with everything that they wear. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think if you are kind of deliberately using clothes to push a narrative that you are, uh, you know not as wealthy as you are, again, like, kind of like crust punks do, um, there's, an, there's an indication when you're walking around and your hair is all matted and your clothes are covered in stains and they smell really bad and they're all, you know, literally crusty, right? There's an implication there. If you don't actually come from, you know, a, a like, situation in which you're, you can't wash your clothes and, uh, you know, those situations are relatively few and far between for people who are making it big in the music industry... Mac DeMarco being an example, though, apparently somebody who did come from poverty. I don't want to say it doesn't happen. But it doesn't happen, I think, as often as a major record label would want you to think it does. Yeah. Not because people, like, in, like, you know, the working class and, like, in poverty are not talented. Um, because record labels generally don't believe that. Right? Um, so, and if they do, they're not, you know, showing us by all the, you know teenagers with industry connections they're putting on the record labels um yeah I've, i feel like um a lot of like what like we were saying like about brockhampton and how they maintain that aesthetic is like their brand so that's where they got the money from and then when the rca saw that they're like that's what gets us money that's where not saying it's right at all but they're like that's where we got the money they have this brand they have this identity let's keep doing it. Like if it works, it works. Like why, why kind of like slow it down? So I feel, I wonder how much of control they have yeah. in their yeah. deal and how much um, RCA has a say in it. Um, the only other band that I can think of that like is just outright hateful of RCA is the Strokes because of their <laughs> 2013 album with like RCA on the front of it. And they just like threw it out without any promo. I feel like they're not the best to their artists, so I wonder. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, like I don't know. I think the I think like Brock the is really interesting in that sense. Like I guess like yeah, I don't know. I think fashion is a little harder. Um 
and you have to be a little more purposeful about how you describe, you know, what message somebody's sending with how they dress. Yeah. Because there is, like, it, it can also be very offensive, right, to just say, like, oh, well, you're dressing poor. Like, <laughs> that's so mean, right? No, of and, and also, usually, yeah. like, I don't know, unwarranted. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think it's, it's complex and usually requires maybe more of a gentle touch than people are usually, you know, capable of on Twitter. Um, and that's fair. It's turning people characters. Are mean on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Who is mean? Um, I'm mean. <laughs> I'm mean on Twitter. Who is? Um, uh, but like, um, yeah. I mean, I you know, I think like, I think we're capable of having that kind of conversation though, and being like, okay, well, obviously, you know, if you want to wear you know jeans and a t-shirt, you know, do you? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember seeing people like kind of. Hyping up Mark Zuckerberg for this exact thing, actually, because he like only wears jeans and a t-shirt, but he's one of the richest guys ever. And it's like, Steve Jobs. Okay, well, he could yeah. like wear nice jeans and a nice t-shirt. Like that's not the that's not the thing. Yeah. Um, but like, I'm calling him ugly. I'm saying his outfit looked ugly. But um, you know, I don't think money necessarily has to change the way you dress, especially to like go to the grocery store. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, or even like you know. Just generally, I mean, not they don't have to. Brockhampton doesn't always have to walk around like they're on the cover of GQ, right? Um, Unless RCA makes them. Yeah, it's just a little (laughs) (laughs) It's just a little disingenuous if they show up to a you know to a red carpet and they're all you know in their like you know best you know schlubby indicate attire and they go, oh, this is what we had. Uh, You know, it's like that's not what you had. Like you all are very famous, right? If the music industry. we're like a reality TV show. You don't want to edit the person who wins like they're going to lose in every episode, mm-hmm. right? Because that's confusing when eventually they still do fine. So if you're the PR people, you don't want to put it in people's heads that this person is coming, you know, from all this, you know, horrible whatever. Because when it's, you know, when they do well and it's revealed in a couple of years that all of that was kind of, you know, uh, smoke and mirrors, people are going to be like, hey, that sucked. Why did you lie to us, right? It's cool, you know. Um, yeah, I just think, like, uh, it's confusing, I think, uh, above all else. It's just confusing. It feels like watching uh, a show that wasn't edited correctly, right? Even if the story itself mm-hmm. makes sense and you're not mad about it, it's like, wh- <laughs> why did you pull me in every other direction first before we got to the conclusion of, of you're not... You're not struggling. Uh, of you know, you're not uh, poor. You're not uh, an underdog. You are. You were on track for this, you know, global success the whole time, right? Why did we not just know that? Mm-hmm. Why did we try to obscure it? It doesn't make sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. What do you think about the term indie? How should we spend King Princess's uh, Macy's fund? How should we all spend <laughs> it? How do we do that? Um, how do you feel about Brockhampton? What do you think about RCA? And how can we as listeners change the narrative of music? If you want to hit us up, please do. Um, contact us at afterglowatx at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening. And hope you have a great rest of the year. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.